Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. The Good Shepherd is our series, and uh, today's message is our part three of this message. We've been going through the psalm that we've been reciting, Psalm 23, and today we're going to focus on the third verse of that psalm. Uh, And I'm titling my message, Action, if you're taking notes. The title is Action. Um, We've been exploring this psalm. We've been reciting it. We've been confessing it. And I want to ask a question of you today. How do you define righteousness? Have you ever thought about this word righteousness? Sometimes we, we especially uh, of now, um, to be righteous is not always seen as a positive thing. I don't know if you've, you know, sometimes people go, it's, they see it as a negative thing. I don't know if you've heard expressions or people asking, why, why, why are you acting so righteous? Right? Why did you, do you think you're so righteous now? Why do you, th- you think you're better than us? Why have you been so righteous all of a sudden now? Of course, to be righteous is to know and to do what is right. That is simply what it means to be righteous. It has nothing to do with being judgmental. To be righteous is to know and to do what is right. So what is righteousness? How do you define what is the right thing to do? I don't think we fully realize how serious uh, of a moral decay we're facing at the core of our society right now. I think it's because we still have a lingering sense of morality that we feel that we're, we're somehow safe from the decadence that we've seen in past centuries. But what I, what I imagine that we are in right now, it's like, like a beautiful bouquet of 12 roses, a dozen roses that you get at the store. You know they're beautiful, and you, you know that they're awesome, but you know that they're dying because they've been cut off from the source. I think the semblance of righteousness that we see in our world today is slowly dying because it has been cut off from the source. Most of us still believe that stealing is wrong. I don't know for how long, though. Most of us still believe that adultery is wrong. For now. Most of us still believe that murder is wrong. I don't know for how long. Are any of these things justifiable ever? Well, it depends on who you ask these days. I saw a friend last week who pastors in Chicago. I asked him, so how is everything going in Chicago? I hadn't seen him in four years. And he said, you know, uh, when we moved, when we first moved a few years ago to plant the church, he's probably been there a little over 10 years. He said, you know, uh, uh, there were gang activities in, in their neighborhoods, and, uh, but they stayed to their, to their kind and, and to their territories and to their neighborhoods. Uh, They were random and occasional, but it was usually gangs against gangs. And on occasion, you would see something happening downtown or in another neighborhood, but it it was usually fights between the gangs. Now, there's a new rule that came out. 
that says that the police are only allowed to intervene if there's imminent threat of life. And then he told me a story. He said, there's a person from my church who had her car hijacked. And uh, the police was just a couple cars behind. And they saw everything happen. And the lady got yanked out of her car, and, and they took off on her car. And, and she was puzzled. She was like, why didn't you guys do anything? I saw that you were right there. And then obviously feeling violated, feeling like that. And that's when the, 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 the officer said, listen, uh, we, we can't do anything because we're under orders to only act if, if lives are in imminent danger. And we were observing, and it didn't seem like your life was in danger. So we're, we're going to have to let this one go. Now, here's the problem with this story is that it feels abnormal now. But it will only feel abnormal for a while. Because we as humans, we adapt to things. We get used to things. I remember many years ago, I was part of a church grand opening in Rio, Brazil. And a few of the team members uh, I was with, we were staying at this local pastor's house. And the house was in a good neighborhood in, in Rio. And we were just staying in this big room. It was about three or four of us. And uh, it was many years ago. I don't remember. But it was, I know it was at least three of us. And at 5 a.m. in the morning, we heard the sound of machine guns. And we woke up startled. And we looked at each other. And we said, should we go for cover? Should we find a basement somewhere? What should we do? We were on the second level, second floor on a hill. And then we were surprised that the hosts didn't even wake up. They didn't even flinch. So we didn't know what to do. We just stayed in the room and started praying. And in the morning, we asked our hosts who owned the house, who were there, and they said, oh, it's just that happens all the time. Over the hill, there's a favela where the gangs live, and machine gun sounds happen every day. It's just a Tuesday. You know? What happens to us when the world becomes corrupt? What happens when our cities get used to violence? What happens when we get used to devaluing people? What happens to us when we are used to seeing homelessness on the streets and, and it's just the way life is? What happens when uh, things like divorce and, and, and aggression becomes the norm? What happens when young women grow up in a world where they believe all men are cheaters? This is what happens. Our souls they become calloused. They get used to certain things. And there's a big difference between being calloused and being strong. See, many people today are being called strong. They're seen as strong. But really what has happened is that they are calloused. They've suffered too much. They've seen too much. And their souls are calloused. They can't feel any longer because they've been injured by life. It's not that you feel stronger, it's that you can't feel. You just don't feel. And so you seem strong, but it's not strength. Have you been there? Has the stress, the fear, the pain, the betrayal, the fighting, the yelling, the anger, the years of tension, the struggle with anxiety and 
other things, calloused your soul. There's hope from the psalmist. There's hope in this passage. Psalm 23.3 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The good shepherd restores our soul. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who doesn't leave us where He finds us? Aren't you glad that we serve a God that He finds you? And you may be rejected, you may be dejected, you may be disillusioned, you may be hopeless, you may be faithless, you may be bruised, you may be beaten, you may be alone. But when God finds you, He loves you. And He pulls you out of that mental state. The Good Shepherd restores our soul. He restores us. Thank God for restoration. Thank God for salvation. Thank God that He doesn't leave us callous. He doesn't leave us numb, but He restores our soul. And all of us, at some point in our lives, we need the Good Shepherd to restore our soul. It's easy to get cynical. It's easy to just brush things off. It's easy to just turn a blind eye. We need restoration. God doesn't leave us. Where he finds us. He doesn't leave you where he finds you. Now, do you know what restoration, the restoration of your soul looks like? Have you thought about that process? Do you know what that process would look like today? Well, it's in the verse. It looks like what we just read. He leads me in paths of righteousness. See, many of us, we think that a restored soul is a feeling. We think that being restored means that we feel better. We, don't, we no longer want to feel what we feel, so we want, we want to release. But feelings follow action. And many of us are living life upside down, letting actions be dictated by feelings. Shouldn't do that. See, Jesus didn't say a new feeling I give you. He said a new commandment I give you, something for you to do, something for you to act on. He didn't say, feel what I feel. He said, follow me, meaning take the steps, take the steps, do something about it. And a lot of effort has been placed to bring awareness to mental health, which is important. It's good. But the focus many times is on how we feel. It's to make us feel good. To make us feel better. But is feeling good better than doing good? Listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 and 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We read this passage last week. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus is calling us to action. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is something you carry. A yoke is a burden. But he's saying, listen, your burden is heavy. My burden is light. Still something for you to do. Action. In other words, he's saying, you want relief? You want rest? 
You want your soul restored? There's some things that you need to do. Because feelings follow action. Can you say that? Say, feelings follow action. Very important. But Jesus even went a step further. He told us that our whole lives will follow our first action. Matthew 6, says this, But seek first the kingdom of God, a very well-known passage, and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. In other words, what you do first will determine your other actions. What you value first will determine your other values. What you seek first will determine everything else in your life. And Jesus is adamant about it. He's saying, you know, I know you have needs. I know that you're thinking about clothing. I know that you're thinking about food. I know that you're thinking about shelter. These were days you remember that that 99% of the people were poor. We've always had the 1%. It's just that before two, 300 years ago, everybody else was poor. 99% of the people were poor, poor. And so those were their concerns. Now we live in a new era where most of us, I mean, there's nobody in America really that can be, by, by worldwide standards, that is really poor. We have resources. But still, we worry. So for our reality, he's saying, you're worried, you're worried that you might not be able to pay rent? You're worried, you're worried that you need to keep your lights on or whether you're going to progress in your career? You're worried. You have things uh, in your mind. Maybe you're worried uh, on whether you're going to find the love of your life or live a meaningful life. Or you're worried about whether you're ever going to have a baby. You're worried about real deep things. And he says, the first thing you need to seek is the kingdom of God. And he says, you need to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness? Have you thought about that? It sounds Jesus-y. It sounds biblical. But practically, he's giving you something to do. What does it mean to seek his righteousness? Why not seek peace? Why not seek faith? Why not seek productivity? Why not seek love or hope? He says righteousness. In other words, it's the God kind of right. You seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And the right thing in the sight of God. When Alini started the encouragement doing worship, I'm like, you're preaching my message. <laughs> she was like, don't stop doing the right thing. I'm like, I don't even need to preach today. She didn't know. She hadn't seen my notes. But that's how the Holy Spirit would work works many times do you want your needs supplied do you want your soul restored you have anxieties you have needs the first concern according to jesus is should be seeking god's kingdom and doing what is right in the sight of god that's powerful now does it surprise you that it could be that simple does it surprise you that it could be that elementary, just do the right thing in the sight of God. That's what Jesus asks of us, righteous actions. The problem is that although it's simple, it's not easy. Because we deal with people. And the people that you deal, they are not here on Sunday morning with you, not always. 
Because if you're here on a Sunday morning, it means that you're, you know, you're seeking, you're doing your part. But not everybody has this proclivity to seek God's righteousness like you do. And because it involves people, it involves a variety of things because people can be mean. People can be ignorant. People can be evil. People can be provocative. People can be seductive. People can be manipulative and selfish and greedy and brilliant and funny and awesome and dumb. <laughs> All at the same time. I've actually been thinking about doing a series called Avoid These People. <laughs> We're about love, but there's literally a passage in Scripture that says, Avoid these people, and it lists. So we might do that this year. But doing what is right in the sight of God means to forgive. It means to let go. It means to walk away. It means to confront. It means to stand, to resist, to correct, to turn the other cheek, to suffer, to be quiet, to speak up. And it usually is what we, usually those things that we need to do it happen when we, have, we want to do the opposite. Right? Because we want revenge, the human kind of justice. We want to speak our mind. We want to punch, push, scream, take advantage. We want to lie when we should confess. We want to gossip when we should help. We want to hide when we should open up. So doing what is right in the sight of God is simple, but it's not easy. So we settle for doing what is right in our own sight. That's option number two. And that's where we have a lot of our problems because when we eliminate God, we eliminate good. You can't have good without God. You really can't. Have you gone down that rabbit trail in your mind? Unless you have God to define what is good, you just become a subjective thing, man. What's good for you might not be good for me, but it's okay. So just do you do you, I do me, and then we get where we are today. Now you can try to do what's right in your own sight, but how can you know it's good? You can't know it's good. You can't know it's good without God because you don't even know what's good for you. Have you thought about that? You don't know what's good for you. I don't know what's good for me. How can you know what's good for the world if you don't know what's good for you? Do you know, uh, do you know anybody who has ever done something, uh, who has never done something bad while intending to do something good? Do you know anyone who has never done something bad while intending to do something good? I don't think there's ever uh, anyone who has ever done that. My nine-month-old son will put everything you give him in his mouth. Everything. Chicken, bread, bananas, scissors, <laughs> a knife. We haven't tried. Asbestos, lead, you, you name it. He doesn't know. You give it to him. I promise you, his intentions are pure. <laughs> it's not always good. 
Parents, how many times have your kids done something bad while having good intentions and you had to explain to them that that was not good? How many times have you? You see, we don't even know what's good for us. We have difficulty discerning. How can we know what's good for everyone? And the less we fear God, the less clarity we have on righteousness. The less we consider God, the less we're able to separate life from death, good from evil. And we have a dearth of righteousness in our country, in our world. I love the definition of righteousness given by Alexander Soter in the Greek lexicon. Uh, one of the definitions that, that he gives is that righteousness is right-usness of which God is the source or author. Usness. I had never seen that word before. I think it's probably made up for a purpose, for a reason. But usness is the collective sense of self. Usness has to do with identity, but not only identity, it has to do with behavior. The behavior toward self. Now Jesus is saying that God should be the author of our usness. See, we have to know this, that God didn't make you for yourself. He didn't make you for you. We're pushed to this idea that we're made for us. So everything that we have is for us. No, He didn't make you for you. He made you for others. To bless others. To belong to others. To be blessed by others. To be valued by others. And a true sense of self is never singular or individualistic. There is usness. That's why we fall in love. Have you thought about it? We don't just fall in love with someone because of who they are. We fall in love with somebody because of the way they affect us. Who they are affects who you are. Therefore, we love who we become in their presence. Identity is found in family, in community. In usness. Now, that's not always godly. That's why the scripture is calling us hey, seek the God kind of righteousness, the God kind of usness. And I gotta tell you, I would not be here today if I didn't have godly friends. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't prioritize the God kind of usness in my life and had friends who did the same. I would probably have been broken and defeated and insecure, unsure of my calling, alone. No way I would have landed my wife way out of my league. They laugh because they agree. <laughs> and I'm not even mad. Some of you, you're trying to do what's right in the sight of God and you have good intentions, but you're surrounded by people who are taking the cues from the devil. Surrounded by people who take their cues from the enemy. They might not know, but that's what's happening. And so you're wondering why you don't have a godly sense of usness. Your, your sense of self is broken. Your behavior towards self is broken. And because... The godly level of usness is not there. You need some godly people in your life. You need, to, you need to be you join the men's group. You need to join the women's group this Tuesday. You need to be there. You need to, you need to join the prayer group who's starting up. 
You need to, to, to stay a little bit longer after service and fight the awkwardness of starting a conversation with somebody you don't know. Invite someone out for coffee, someone you meet here. Any of these people on stage right here are stellar people that you can uh, connect with. They'll breathe life into you. We're planning to get our groups going again, strong in our next season. And, and some of you, you need to host a group in your house. You need to invite a group to come to your house because you need to get some godly people in your house to change the atmosphere in your house. Because it's been, it's been a little bit ungodly and you, you, need, you need some, some godly presence in your house. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Righteousness is important. But it's not just righteousness. Why righteousness? For His name's sake. Do you know what that means? That God leads you to the paths of righteousness for His name's sake? It means that, that God wants your life to be an example of what He calls right. It's for His glory. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 5, chapter, uh, verses 14 through 16. He said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to whom? Your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, let your light shine. My, my, uh, our pastor in Houston used to say, wear your blessings well. Meaning, you know when people get shy about how God has blessed them? He said, you know, I used to be shy about how God has blessed me. And then I realized, it's not my doing. It's for His glory. The moment I try to hide is because I think I've done it, so I need to be modest. But if God has done it, it's a testimony. If God has done it, I'm going to bring glory to His name. If God has done it, I'm going to shout from the top of a mountain of what He has done in my life. How He has redeemed me. How He has saved me. How He has brought me out of the mire clay. And He has given me peace and joy. And He has blessed me. Yeah. Give glory to your Father in heaven. See, God, this is what I believe. That God wants to make an example out of you in a good way. He wants to be an example in your life of what he calls right for his glory. God, God wants to look at you and say, you know, I see my son. I see my daughter. They're doing the right thing. They're committed to righteousness and to doing what is right in my sight. I'm going to show the world what happens to someone when they do that. When someone dares to live a godly life. I'm going to, I'm going to bless their marriage in such a way that people are going to call it divine. I'm going to bless their life in such a way that I'm going to open doors of opportunity and that people will not be able to say that my hand was not in their life. It'll be visible that the hand of God is upon them. And here's my challenge to you today. I challenge you to take action. You know, that means that, that what you do matters. It means that how you engage life your values, they matter. Righteousness matters. And if you've been dealing with a soul that needs restoration, this is your way 
to wholeness. Because feelings follow action. So seek God first. Remember, when we eliminate God, we eliminate good. Feelings follow action. That means, you know what? Good intentions will not restore your soul. What you do, actions will. Godly actions will. So seek to do what is right before God. And I believe God will take you places you have never dreamed of because he said, what I, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, is what he has prepared for those who fear him. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.